Hey, this is Kerwin Santiago, pastor of Social Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I pray that this message blesses you and helps you grow in your faith to become more like Jesus. We're going to go ahead and continue today this new series that we started last week. But I want you to listen to me. I have to do part two of the introduction today. So if you missed last week, it's okay. Because today I'm going to give you another introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And before I dive into the Sermon on the Mount, I want to make sure that I set the foundation really well. Because the Sermon on the Mount is so full of teachings and principles that are so deep, they're so hard to interpret, that if we really don't set the foundation first about what the Sermon on the Mount is, we'll probably miss everything during the Sermon on the Mount series. And this series is going to take a while. We're going to go through it and try and break it down. But I hope that you guys are excited about this series. I hope that you guys are coming with an open heart to receive what God wants. And here's what I would say to you that have, for you that have been in church for a long time. I would tell you, come to the services with an open mind for God to speak to you in a fresh and a new way. Because I know, I know, listen, I know that it's easy to come here and say the Sermon on the Mount. I know that. I've been in church all my life. Come on. If you've been in church, you've heard the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, if you're not a Christian, you've heard parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody knows it. And it's so easy to come in and just close up because you think already that you know what it is. But I want you to open up and say, God, you know what? I think I know it. But I'm going to open my heart for you to speak to me in a new way. God, I want this to be different. And if that's you this morning, can, can you just do that right there where you're at it before we even go in? Can you just pray real quick with me and say, God, move in this place. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Reveal to us who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how we can live out the principles laid out in your word. God, that this day, may we receive something that will change us. It might not be a sudden change. It might not be an overnight change. God, but let your word, the word that goes forth today, into the hearts and into the minds, let it begin a process of transformation. So that Everyone here in this place at some point can look back and say, man, God, I don't know when you did it, but I know you've been working in my life. God, I didn't realize it, but as I've been coming to church and hearing your word, you've been changing. So I ask you that you may change us, transform us, so that we may be more like you, Jesus. That's what we want in 2020. We want to be like you. We ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. 
So if you're here, I want you to open up your Bible because now I'm going to go and, and take it slow. And if that's okay with you, you give me the permission to go slow and lay the foundation this morning once again. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5. I want you to actually go to and turn to your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, maybe you have a Bible app on your phone or on your iPad. Or if you don't even have that yet, it's okay. We are going to put that verse right up here on the screen, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And when you have it, when you have it, get ready to read with me. Even if it's in your mind, you don't have to read out loud, but in your mind. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, the New International Version, the NIV. And this is what it says. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. This is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, which goes through chapter 7. Sermon on the Mount, you'll find it, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And here's what I want to say right now about this. Matthew says that Jesus saw the crowds, because multitudes would follow him. Jesus was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was doing supernatural things. And people were seeing this and they were amazed. Imagine they, were, they wanted to receive what Jesus had. So they would follow him. Crowds would follow Jesus wherever he went. Not only because Jesus was a powerful man because he did miracles in a supernatural way. But they followed him because the way that he taught was different from the teachers of their time. So when Jesus taught, people would usually be amazed. And I'm going to show you that in a little bit. People would say, this is amazing. We've never heard anybody speak in the way that he does. He had that authority. He had that power. And it says that when he saw the crowd, the multitudes, general people that came to him he went up on a mountainside and when I went to Israel now I we went to the Mount of Beatitudes they call it the Mount where Jesus actually is supposed to have gone up to teach this sermon and there's a church a Catholic church there now and man it, it's a beautiful sight because you think that he went up on a mount like if it was a little hill you know that just like maybe this high and people were able to hear them no they, we're talking about the high mountain and it's and so the Bible says Jesus went up I don't know how high up he went on that mountain because we went all the way to the top let me tell you man it's high and so if the crowds were down there and he was up here I don't think they could have heard him from up there from down there so I'm assuming that Jesus probably went up a ways but not all the way unless the crowds followed him and went with him all the way up to the mountain but what does what Matthew does tell us is that the disciples were the ones that came to him. Now, I don't know if that means that the crowd stayed behind and just the disciples came near. But what is believed uh, to be the case is that the disciples came close and the crowds followed behind them in proximity. But the disciples were the first ones. They were there. 
And I want you to see in a little bit why that's important. But listen, he sat down, and the reason why he sat down, you think he's getting ready to teach. Why would Jesus sit down? You know, we're used to people teaching and preaching and giving a class. And when they do that, instead of sitting, they stand up. Now, we know some preachers. We know some teachers. My dad does this quite a bit. He sits down sometimes when he's getting ready to teach. But this is not common in our time, but it was common in the time of Jesus. Teachers, whenever they would get ready to expound the word of God, instead of standing, they would sit down. And actually, in the synagogues, what for us would be the church temple or sanctuary, they used to have in the front of it a seat that they called the seat of Moses. Because Moses is known as the one that gave the law to the people of God. And so when Moses gave the law to the people of God, most likely Moses would sit down while he would teach. So Jesus sits down. And I told you this last week, that the reason why Matthew has Jesus going on a mountain and then sitting down is because in a way he's trying to make that connection between Jesus and Moses. Moses was the one that gave the people the law of God on a mountain in the Old Testament. Right? He's the one that went ahead and led the people out of Egypt and into the, or supposed to, almost into the promised land. That was the goal. And so now Jesus is a type of Moses. Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus now brings people not out of Egypt but out of the spiritual Egypt of sin he brings people out of that Egypt when they come to him and he is taking them or takes them or the idea is to take them to the promised land where we're not yet I want you to know that so I want you to get this idea that when we when we get saved if we want to call it that when we come to Jesus Christ um, Jesus is our deliverer as the Messiah and he saves us by delivering us out of the captivity and the bondage of sin in this world. He delivers us of that. And he gives us eternal life. That's what the Bible says. We have that in us. But listen, when we get saved, you and I know this for sure. We don't become saints. None of you have halos on the top of your head and I don't either. We're not perfect. And listen, and can we admit when we come to Jesus, we don't even, we don't even go into the promise. We're not in the promised land. What we're living here on earth is not the promised land. Now, spiritually speaking, that's where God is taking us to. That's where we're going. But notice this. When Moses delivered the people out of Egypt, they did not enter the promised land immediately. They first had to go through the wilderness, what they call the desert. And that's where I believe spiritually where we're at today. Jesus saved us. Yes, he delivered us from the bondage of sin. But listen, he didn't put us in a little nice sanctuary filled with angels all around us where everything is good and perfect in our lives. No, in reality, most of us, when we got saved, we stepped into the desert began a process, a process through which God is working in us, through us, to bring on earth the kingdom of heaven, to establish here his purpose for humanity. 
And so that's what Jesus is doing through the Sermon on the Mount now. Jesus is going to go ahead and begin to teach the people the principles of kingdom life. Last week I told you, listen, when we come to Jesus, we are called to be holy, right? Which means different. We're called to be different. Say with me, different. I, there was just two or three people. He calls us to be different. That means that the church should be different. Say with me, different. Different. We're called to be different. And when we become different, then we're able to make a difference. Amen. When we become different, then we're able to make a difference. Now, I want you to get this real quick. That the question now becomes, which I didn't tell you this last week, why should I be different? Why should you be different? Why should we be different at all? If we should be different, why should we be different? And I want to tell you this because in verse 2 now, listen, Matthew tells us, and the, after the disciples came to him, he began to teach them. Say with me, teach. Why should we be different? Because the Sermon on the Mount here is a teaching. That's what it is. Say with me, teaching. It's a teaching or a collection of teachings that first of all describe or reveal the nature of who Jesus is. That's what they do. Are you here with me this morning? Sermon on the Mount is a teaching or a series of teachings collection of teachings that first of all, I want you to know this, describe or they reveal the nature of who Jesus is. In other words, whatever you read in the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus describes it, like he says here in verse 3, and I'm not going to go into that, but he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he continues saying those things. Or when he goes on to say, you have heard it say, you know, that if you have sexual relationships with another person that's not your spouse, you have committed adultery. But I say unto you that if you even look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Those kinds of things that Jesus is describing and talking about as a way of life for the kingdom people are really, first of all, describing who he is. This is his nature. He's not talking about something, about people doing something that he is not. First of all, Jesus is saying through all this, this is who I am in my nature. This is who I am in my being. And because it's his nature, it's just natural for him to walk like that and live like that and act like that and behave like that because it's just his nature. It's the nature of our God. He's a good God. He's a holy God. He's holy. And so the Sermon on the Mount, as you read it, you have to understand, first of all, that if you want to know who Jesus is and what he is like, man, you need to get into that sermon. Do you want to know what, who he is and what he is like? Read the sermon. Memorize that sermon. Get it into your soul. Because that's who our God is. You see, we, we can't see God. 
And in fact, we can't see Jesus either. But can I tell you something? That as we read about in scripture of who Jesus is, when we see him living in the way that he does by enacting and behaving in the ways that he describes on the Sermon on the Mount, we get a glimpse of who God is. Jesus said this, he said, nobody has seen the Father. Nobody has seen God. But if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, listen, get this today. In Jesus, we find the full revelation of who God is in his nature, in his being, in the way that he talks, in the way that he acts, in the way that he behaves. Who is God? Look at Jesus and you'll know who God is. Sermon on the Mount is a teaching or a collection of teachings that first of all describe and reveal the nature of who Jesus is, which is the nature of God. And so what is a teaching? Because here he's teaching them. What is a teaching? A teaching is an instruction that is designed to impart knowledge designed to impart knowledge but it's not just knowledge that is supposed to be imparted in a teaching when you receive teaching or you receive knowledge the goal of you receiving that knowledge which number one is supposed to stimulate your mind but not be that and all it's supposed to not only stimulate your mind, it's to stimulate you and move you to action. In other words, sometimes we read the Sermon on the Mount or even the commands of God, and when we read them as commands, man, that's a harsh word, isn't it? It's like, you have to do this. And we're offended by somebody telling us that we have to do something. In fact, we live in a culture where that is not right. To tell somebody what they should believe, to tell somebody how they should act, to tell somebody how they should behave. Man, don't you dare cross that line. That's what our culture says. You live your life the way you want to. You let me live my life the way I want to. That's the way culture is. We get offended when somebody tries to impose on us their ethical rules and norms and standards and even their religion for whatever reason because man we live in a free country we can believe what we want that's true and thank God for that I thank God I live in a free country for that reason but can I tell you something that's maybe maybe the way that we've understood instruction and commandments has been all wrong because we're looking at it from the perspective of an authority telling somebody inferior, you have to do this. Or if not, you're fired. Or you have to do this or you're not part of our group. We see it as authoritative. And man, we put up our defenses. 
But what if instruction and teaching here is not in the sense that we understand it in our culture, the way we, it is? Maybe teaching is more in the realm of what we call mentorship. When you want to learn how to be like somebody, you follow that person. You tell them, talk to me about how you got where you got. Because as they tell you that, they're just not commanding you to do things. They're revealing to you certain secrets and principles that help them get to where they were. And so when you are under that type of teaching or mentorship, when that person commands you and tells you, read a book a month, because that's the way I became rich. Because you want to become rich, you say, man, I'm going to read a book a month. You don't fight it. You don't get defensive about it. You don't say, who are you to tell me what to do? You say, man, I want to be like you. And because I want to be like you, then I want you to tell me what I need to do. So that I can put it and become that. You know, if you, if you want to learn how to cook a good dish, you know what I'm saying? You want to learn how to cook a good dish. And your mother-in-law, you know, she's the one that knows how to do it. And you go to her and you tell her, hey, can you teach me how to cook, you know, that dish? She tells you, sure, come over here. Grab that pan. You're not going to tell her, who are you telling me what to do? Don't tell me. You wouldn't do that because you asked her. Listen, I want to learn how to do that. So when you enter into that relationship, of teaching and disciple, teacher and disciple. The disciple is the one that submits to the instructions and even the commands of the one that is leading him to do what he's told to do. And so we shouldn't be offended when Jesus in the word says this is how you should live. We shouldn't be offended when the pastor gets up on the pulpit with a mic and says, this is what the word of the Lord says and this is how you should live. Because, listen, it's only trying to help you and lead you and guide you to become like Jesus, your Lord and your Savior. not just to stimulation in the mind, but to action, to a way of being. They're supposed to teach us something so that we can do something. So who does a teacher teach? A student. A student. And a student is what a disciple is. Whenever you read the word disciple in the Bible, the, what the meaning of that is a learner. He is a student. He learns what? Scripture. And the lifestyle that Scripture requires of us to live. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon 
in which Jesus teaches his disciples what they should be like and what they should do. I hope I've explained that better this time around. That's what, that's what it does. Through the Sermon on the Mount, that's why so, the Sermon on the Mount is so important. For you as a believer, if you have no idea what it is or even what to do with it, man, we're in trouble as a church today. And the truth is, we don't know what to do with it. Because, listen, that's not just a question that you and I might have today. What do we do with the teachings of Jesus? It's not a question that just, it's a new question. It's a question that many Christians have had for a long time. And in this question, many people, man, get confused about what to do with it. Because even though the Sermon on the Mount are, are, is a teaching of Jesus or a collection of teachings about how we should be and how we should live as believers, the truth is that what he says is hard. It's hard. Nearly impossible to live by. So because of the nature of the difficulty of the content of the Sermon on the Mount, Christians throughout history have tried to interpret it in different ways in order for it to make sense for us. Because we, honestly, we don't know what to do with something like that. And so the Sermon on the Mount, even though it's a famous teaching and even non-Christians know about it, listen, it's it contains some of the hardest sayings recorded by Jesus. He speaks of good behavior and he speaks of bad behavior. According to the laws and the standards of God's kingdom or his rule. He says the good behavior, the good behavior is what we should follow according to him here. The bad behavior we should avoid. And so the good behavior, here's the truth. The good behavior is such a high standard that many Christians don't know what to do with it. In fact, they disagree with how to interpret it. And I'm going to give you real quick three ways believers have tried to interpret this. And many of us, even here today, have read this and even other parts of scripture. And we've said, oh, well, this is the way I live it out. This is the way I really put that into practice. And so number one, some have said, that Jesus didn't expect for his followers to live out the principles or the standards which he speaks of here. He didn't expect for people or disciples to actually enact those behaviors in real life. Now that's not what he was trying to do. What he was trying to do was just to show us by putting those high standards in there that man we are just like sinners with no hope and therefore we need a savior so the standards are so high people some Christians say you're not supposed to do what it says you can't we, we can never do that it's impossible to actually live by those but how you should interpret it is by saying this when you read it just consider yourself and all your shortcomings, look at yourself and realize, man, you're just a sinner. And that's what you're always going to be. You're never going to be able to change that. You're always going to fall short of God's glory. 
So therefore, when you look at it, instead of trying to live by those things, which you can never do, what you need to do is recognize your need of Jesus Christ. You need him. When you read that, look at it and say, wow, man, God, you're so holy. The only thing I can do is just repent and accept your forgiveness and understand you'll always be so holy and I will never be like you. But can I tell you this morning, that sounds so good. And in fact, I think that's, that predominates that thought predominates in our theology and our churches today that that's the way we believe about a lot of scripture that's why it leads into the second false way of interpreting which is that we say well you know what the 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 sermon on the mount and the principles and the characteristics by which we're jesus says we're supposed to live in reality those things are meant for us to act upon privately not publicly in other words, can I explain that one to you? This is what we think. Jesus says, you know, that in fact we, sh we shouldn't kill, right? We shouldn't kill. You guys are, you guys are scaring me because you're not saying anything. And I hope that you at least know that the Bible says that. We shouldn't kill. You know what? You know what I'm saying? You know the Bible says that. And so a private way of interpreting the Bible, which is so common for us in our culture because we're so an individualistic culture is that man I practice my faith individually at home I read the Bible individually and I put into practice the morals and the ethics in my own life so listen when it comes to not killing oh yeah I understand that but I'm for war because my beliefs in private have nothing to do with how I practice them in public and we do that with so much of scripture. Not just that. Love your enemies. Oh yeah, I believe I should love all my enemies. I do. In fact, in my heart, I do. In my mind, I do. I love everybody. In my mind. But there's a lot of people I don't like in reality. <laughs> and that's another way of interpreting the Bible. And then there's a third one. And uh, now I'm thinking an hour service is not enough now. Help me, Jesus. I'll finish with this. And a third one is that people will say this. You know what? The principles of the Sermon on the Mount, you know what they are in reality? They're meant for those super Christians. You know what I'm saying? You know? They're meant for people to live them out. But you know what? People should live those out and can live those out? The pastors. Of course, pastor, you know, you know me. You look at me, you're like, yeah, he... He's the walking sermon on the mount. You know what I'm saying? And can I tell you that so far from the truth, I am nowhere near that, but some people have that belief. That the ones that are supposed to actually live out the principles of Scripture and what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount and in other parts, it's only for the elite Christians. Oh, the ones that are, you know, the super spiritual those are the ones that are to live it out. But not the general Christians. No, that's not for the common Christian. That's not just for the ones that come to church one Sunday, you know, once in a while. Or to come to church once a week. No, that's not for us. We could never live like that. We could never do that. And so for that reason, because of those beliefs, with those false ways of interpreting the Sermon on the Mount in the Scripture, you know what we do? 
instead of being different, we are just the same as everybody else. That's what I was trying to tell you last week. We're just the same. We act the same. We live the same. There's no difference between a Christian and somebody out there. There's no difference between the disciple and the crowd. Everybody's the same because listen, we really are not meant to live out those things. You know, no, 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 I come to church. I understand it. I love Jesus. He is good. I lift my hands. I worship. It's all superficial. It's all on the surface, but nobody's really trying to live like that. But the church is just more the same. So when people come looking for something different, when people come broken and in need, Instead of finding the answer, what they find is more of the same. Can I say crap? That's what they find. Oh, if I want, if I wanted, people from the world come. They're trying to escape the hypocrisy of the world. They come to church. What do they find? The first thing is hypocrisy. It's just more of the same. They escape, they, they come from the world broken and needed, trying to find relationships and connection, a place where they can feel comfortable and be loved. And what do they find is somebody looking at them like this. Who do you think you are? Am I preaching to anybody this morning? And I believe that the church is called to be different. Not just to think different. To act. act. And it's not just about dressing different. Oh yeah, I'm cool man because I dress, you know. I'm different. We're a different church. Just the way we dress, you know what I'm saying? We're comfortable. Anybody can come. That's not what it means. This doesn't change anybody. I dress like this because I like dressing like this. I know it doesn't change anybody. What changes somebody is when I take seriously the Word of God. And I decide that this is not just something that I'm going to think about as something so nice. Yes, it sounds so good. And then go back home and be the same. No, it's something that sounds good because it is good. And if you put it into practice, it's actually even better. That's what I think. Those are my two cents. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet because my time is up. And that really sucks that my time is up because I was halfway through the message. But the good thing is that we have next week. We have next Sunday. And because we're in a series, I'm going to continue where I left off. And you don't want to miss what I was going to say next. Because what I was going to say next was actually my favorite part. I want you to get how important the Sermon on the Mount is. I, I want you to come in the next weeks because this, this is going to be a long, long series. 
It's probably going to take us all the way to Easter. It's going to take us all the way to Easter. But you know what, man? Is there any better place to be and from where to learn than the very words of Jesus Christ that reveal who he is? I think we'll be okay, you know. You'll be okay. You'll be fine if we spend more time than usual in this series. Because you know what I believe truly? That if we get it, if we really understand it, our lives will be changed. And then we can also bring about change. Wow. Could that be possible? I'm blown that we could actually make a difference is such a foreign idea but it's the truth we I want to tell you we can be different and we can make a difference I'm going to say that again because I want you to leave with that thought this morning you let me say it this way I don't know if I should say you I think we should have both. You can make a difference. You can be different. And you can make a difference. Can you say that? Can you say, I can be different. Say, I can be different. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. May he shake the church up. May he shake us in our inner being. May he move us. Holy Spirit. Shake your church. Move us. Wake us up. Deliver us from the mindset of this culture. So that we can understand and know that if you know the truth the truth will make you free. The gospel does make a difference. The gospel does change lives. Do it with us first. Do it with me. Okay, can you say that? Say, Jesus, do it in me. Change me. So that then I can make a difference. In the name of Jesus, we ask you this, amen. amen. Good. I feel like I have so much more to say, but I feel the Holy Spirit working in the lives right now. I feel God moving us out of a comfort zone. Somebody say this morning, God, make me uncomfortable. Come on, that's what we need. Challenge us, Holy Spirit. To be more like you, not less like you. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who give. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and if you did, Please subscribe, share, take a screenshot, tag us, and I'll see you next time.